The Sassafras Three by S. Forrester Librand. Chapter Two A Wolf. The old man made a great deal of progress on the road that day. For a while he stomped, and when he got a good pace going, he tromped. In his boots, with his cape, smoking his pipe, he shuffled and shambled, rambled and pottered, quick-stepped and marched. He even moseyed for a while. The dusty wind went ahead of him, always almost out of sight, no matter how fast he walked. No matter if he trotted, or, as evening drew close, if he slowed to a sturdy clip. The wind, that dusty wind, was always almost out of sight, and night was approaching. Who could track a wind at night? The little old man stopped at a place off the road just before it was truly dark, when you think you can still see just fine, but in a few minutes you can't see a thing. The old man, short and bald and scrawny as he was, had eyes like an eagle during the day and eyes like an owl at night, but he could no longer glimpse the wind. He went to a circle of short trees and lit a fire and put the hood of his cloak over his bald head. He ate nothing because he hadn't brought anything to eat. Could be that he expected to overtake the wind before the day's end. The day was done and the wind might still be out there blowing as far as he knew. No matter. The old man did not voice any complaint or word of defeat. He sat staring at his fire. Whenever the flames got low, he added another log and sat staring at it. At some point, you'd think he'd go to sleep. Most folks do at night. But there's no saying if he ever did or not. What is known is that he got up before sunrise, just before, and poured dirt on the fire, and stepped out on the road again. You can be sure he did that, for if he didn't, what followed later that day never would have happened. The old man followed the road east, patting it with his walking stick, smoking another bowl of tobacco as the sun rose. For a while he walked, trusting his instincts. He saw the land opening into a flat, grassy prairie. There were still hundreds of mesquite trees all around, thorny branches with chippered bark and tiny palm leaves. A mile off the road he saw an old stone tower, long since abandoned by those who had kept guard there. The land he traveled in was called Mullinora, though he didn't know it. As the sun fully came up, revealing the land all red and gray, he saw a rider on the road moving toward him on a sad donkey. The donkey was discernibly sad by the way it hung its head and laid its ears down. Sitting on the beast's back was a pig farmer, meaning a farmer who was also a pig, rather than a farmer of pigs. "'Good morning, master,' said the pig when he reached the old man. The old man nodded, pipe in mouth, and leaned against his walking stick. "'Have you seen a dusty wind come by?' asked the old man. "'I did,' nodded the pig, surprised the old man would know that. The pig wore a wide straw hat and a green tunic that barely fit his slumpy gut. "'Where?' "'A mile east,' said the pig farmer. "'But it hopped off the road at the caliche pit, started sidewinding southways.' Thank you, said the old man, beginning to go on. Hold up there, master, said the pig. You don't want to go that way. The hills begin that way, the real hills. There's wolves in such there. I will not be deterred, thank you, said the old man, already bothered by how many words he'd used that day, and the day being so young. I'm telling you, it's dangerous country, said the pig. 
All are, said the old man. He kept walking, and the pig had no choice but to leave him alone, going on his business riding his glum donkey west. A mile up the road proved to be a sharp approximation. The mesquites and grass began to clear, and the old man suddenly found a slope to the south with a wide caliche pit at the bottom. He left the road where it was, for he could not take it with him. The caliche pit was as firm as a road, made of rock and dirt, and it stretched before him like a dried lake. The old man went easily, strolling with hard footfalls on the tough ground. He looked ahead, scanning left and right for sign of the wind. For a long while, all he could see were green hills off a ways at the far end of the pit. A rattlesnake came into sight, flopping along the bed of the caliche. Stay away there, said the old man, using up his words again. No quarrel, said the snake, going around the man. I don't like you men. The old man grunted and kept on. Suddenly his heart rose, though his face didn't show it. He saw the dusty wind climbing up one of the far green hills, tall and nasty as ever. He began hobbling now, hobbling as quick as he could. Though he was old, he could move pretty steady. His legs were short, that was all. He kept his eyes on the wind and went hobbling on and on. The caliche ground kept him upright, no tricks or holes in its stiff sediment. His walking stick went tomp, 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 and his boots went thip, thip, thip. He was well on his way. The wind was not moving too quickly that day, it seemed. Mayhaps it was tired from all its thieving on the day before. The old man could catch it, he was sure, if he really tried. Straight like an arrow, steady like a tortoise, the pit soon would end and he'd be among the hills. But as he drew closer, he saw that the hills were higher than he thought. The wind was a tall wind, its shape, giant and spiraling upward and red as the dust it churned, went slothfully over the hills as it pleased. The hills were greenish and bare, a lot of rocks popping from the ground and some patches of earth where you might slide down if you weren't careful. There was a mess of prickly pears all around the feet of the first hill. The old man didn't mind. He put his corn cob in his pocket, pulled his cloak through his belt, and adventured forth. Round he walked the wrinkled cacti and their million needles. He found his way to the base of the hill and began his ascent. He used his walking stick with both hands at times. He was sure not to step on any of the earth patches lest he stumble and slide back down. All that waited for him at the bottom of the hill were needles and loss. Not once on his journey had he thought about the fact that he hadn't even locked his front door. At the crown of the hill there was a fine view of the land. The little old man pulled himself up over one long boulder that looked like a giant prune. There he stood. He saw the wind not far off. It had stopped and sat down on the top of one of the hills, if you can believe it. Just sitting there, sorting out its contents, putting to order all the dust and shingles and laundry it had acquired inside its spinning form, the old man sneered. He could see his hat. It was flickering about at the top of the wind's head. The wind was wearing his hat, and it didn't even have a real head. The old man wanted to yell out, "'Consarn you!' but he knew that would only alert the dusty wind. Furthermore, it'd be another two words thrown away. So he went onward. Ahead, the hills weren't so steep or precarious. Most lay lower than the one he'd climbed, and were all connected by little slopes and trails. 
Some thin, muddy streams spilled along in narrow ditches at the edges of each hill. The new problem, however, was the scrub. There was scrub all over the hills ahead. Though the hills led like a chain to the peak where the wind sat, they were overgrown with hackberry trees and cedar bushes and all kinds of other nonsense. The old man knew he couldn't change the terrain any more than he could leap into the air and flap his arms and fly over to the hill where the wind was, where his hat was. He adventured onward. Soon he didn't know where he was. He was short of stature and the scrubby bushes and trees shrouded his view awful. The little old man slashed at the branches in his way with his walking stick as if it were a threshing tool. There was always a set of wrinkles on his face, not from his age but from the way he looked. Always creased, always tangled up with furrows in his brow and a squint around his eyes. But the more he had to slash at the branches and push through the thick path among the scrub, the more his face twisted. Eventually, he made it out of the scrub into a clear place, and if anyone saw his face then, they would have thought it was a pumpkin set on a man's body. Red and orange and grooved, his eyes scowled and his jaw was set back against his neck. The old man looked around. There were the hills everywhere. The bramble only worsened directly ahead of his path. It rose like a great hairy beast. But off to his left, the hill he was on declined downward, down to one of the little ravines between all the hills. He saw a creek before he heard it. Rocks and gravel lay along its bank, some mesquites and a few fair sycamores, green as serpents. He saw the creek, and furthermore, he could not see the wind. No matter which direction he looked, that wind was not in sight. Only the sun above him, the scrub all around, and a thin slope that led to water. He chose water and went down the hill. Eventually he did stumble and slide, but not much was in his way. So he made it to the bottom all right. The old man set his stick against the sycamore tree and knelt over the creek. He washed his face and drank from it. The creek's water wasn't too muddy, not that he had a choice... So he sat a while on his knees, looking into the water and drinking it occasionally. Mainly he stared at his reflection, which became wrinklier among the cutting current of the creek. When one creature is hunting another, you can be sure yet another creature is hunting the hunter. The old man chased the wind, and it was fate and only fair that something was following him. The pig farmer had not lied, there were wolves in those hills, only a few of them at that. These wolves went their own way. They didn't hunt in a pack. They didn't need to. So it was that one wolf, I won't say the king wolf, but probably a princeling of the wolves, had been stalking the old man the minute he'd climbed that first hill. In fact, the wolf had seen him walking across the caliche pit, a long ways off. So it had waited. This wolf was a lanky old villain. Its legs were tall like a horse's, its neck was a long swinging thing, and the face at the end was a huge arrowhead of a face, full of teeth and tongue and glowy blue eyes. Its tail had been half bitten off long ago. The hair of its hide was wilder than the wolf itself, each fin of fur curving contrary to its neighbor. That old villain looked duly must which is to say it was as uncombed and jagged as you could hope. For a while the wolf had had some fun following the old man through the scrub. 
In truth, it could have bounced him at any time it chose, but it liked to pretend it was on a hunt as in the old days when it was still a cub. Now the wolf's stomach, which is never truly full, barked at its owner louder than the wolf itself could bark. The stomach barked, feast, famished, fang, eat that old man, dinner, I say, dinner. So while the old man sat staring into the creek, not feeling sorry for himself but just resting, the wolf loped down the slope like any panther might. Its long bony legs were quiet and its tongue wobbled from its teeth all silly-like. But it was not a silly wolf. No wolf is, no matter what you've been told. The old man, old though he was, had good vision. He had respectable hearing, too. The animal that stalked him was masterfully quiet, but he soon heard it. There in the ravine by the mumbling creek he heard the wolf's stomach hurrying it along. The old man stood slowly, easily, and picked up his walking stick. He faced the wolf. The beast stopped for a moment, a little taken aback by the wrinkled, angry stare of the old man. This meat would be a tough chew, it thought. Tough or not, meat was meat. The wolf pawed forward, its tongue hanging from its head. Ho there, wolf, said the old man. Ho there, dinner, said the wolf. A third voice called out, high and cheerful, as if singing. Dinner is done. You should have savored your lunch, which was your dinner. Neither old man nor wolf knew where that voice came from. But in the next second, the wolf dropped down on its face and belly. A long arrow pierced right through its scraggly neck. The old man had expected to fight for his life, or for his death, more likely. Now he rested on his stick and looked around for who had shot the arrow. He did not have to look long. There was a man galloping down the slope above the creek. He cut a tall figure, at least taller than the old man, and he was talking the whole time he came down the slope. I've hunted that wolf for a day and night, said the fellow. I have followed him all about these hills, waiting for the best shot. You presented a glorious trap, my friend, waiting by the creek. Had we planned it, it would have gone no better. I the hunt, the hunt. He was dressed in a gray cotton tunic with a black leather belt and a gold buckle round his waist. A fine, wide-bladed sword was tied to the belt, though it was not a very lengthy sword. He wore traveler's boots, all coarse and tough, for ranging. On his head was a hat, but what he carried in his arms was more interesting than the rest of him. It was some kind of weapon, a bow, but not a long bow. It would have looked like a crossbow had he held it level with the ground, but that's not how the weapon was made to be. The bow part went up and down, and was crafted into a long handle and butt for holding against your shoulder when you aimed. In his belt were two other arrows. The hunter tipped his hat to the old man, but went straight to the fallen wolf. He rolled it over with his boot and drew his sword, but the wiry beast was dead. The scoundrel is slain at long last, said the hunter with a smile. He did not bother to remove the arrow, what had pierced the wolf, but heaved the animal over his shoulder and carried it to one of the trees growing by the creek. He tied it upside down and set to work stripping it of its pelt. I'll tell you who I am, said the hunter while he cut the wolf's clothing paw to paw. You already know, I reckon. I am Nash Irving, hide hunter, hill ranger. 
I tracked the Dardadu from the River Rose to the Mountain of Smit. I slept in the den of the digging bear twelve nights before he knew I was there. I know this land like I know my name, which is Nash Irving. I, why, I've done a great many things. Surely you know this all. Some have written tales of me. While the hunter babbled, the old man knelt back over the creek and drank some more, the sound of the water in his own gulps obscuring the voice of courageous Nash Irving. And so, brave man who I meet in such a barren place, said Nash, cutting away at the wolf, sure that the old man was listening with wide eyes. And so I ask you your name. Who are you, brave traveler? Nash heard no reply, so he stopped his scraping and turned around. The old man was walking away, going toward the slope to climb it again. Hello, called Nash to the old man. Sir, good sir. The old man grunted and turned around. Are you away now, just as we made acquaintance? Please give me the favor of your name, at least, so I may know it for the retelling of this hunt. What is your name? I lost my hat, said the old man, nodding. That's a name I've never heard, said Nash, confounded by the grumbled words. A wind stole my hat from my head, said the old man, frowning magnificently at that point. I'm chasing the concerned wind. You see it? You mean that dusty devil that's been knocking about the hills all day? Said Nash Irving. I did see him. Threw me off the trail of this wolf for a while. Looked like a wind spirit. That's it, said the old man, nodding. Much obliged, ranger. He began up the hill. Looked like it was going eastways, said Nash Irving, just about finished with the pelt. The dusky fur came off as clean and bloodless as a peel taken from an orange. I'm going east myself when I finish this chore. What do you think about partnering for the road, friend? I've got to catch it today, said the old man going up the hill. I'm almost finished, said Nash Irving. I haven't seen a creature in two months that wasn't a wolf or a bird. I'm going to the swamplands in Gaum. There's a dangerous dragon in the bog. I hunt it next. The old man had already reached the top of the hill, glad to be out of hearing from the fellow. He looked around for the wind as best he could, only he didn't see it. He saw hills and scrub and a hawk flying overhead. You've seen the dusty wind? The old man called up to the hawk. The hawk swooped down lower to reply, Gone east, baldy. And the bird swooped up and away before the man could swing his walking stick at it. Partners it is, then said the voice of Nash Irving, who was just about standing beside the old man. He climbed the slope and was wearing the scrawly wolfskin over his cloak. His bow was in his arms and his sword back in its sheath on his belt. I only have to retrieve my gear. It's not much. I'll return quick-like. And he was gone. And the old man stood where he was for a moment, pondering all the strange things that were taking place around him. A wolf had tried to eat him. A sudden hunter shot the wolf. The hunter was a braggart, and the hawk said the wind had gone east whilst insulting the man's lack of hat. The old man grunted. His mind felt clear again. He proceeded east in the hills. The scrub did not let up for a time. The twists and burrs of the landscape made their mark on his arms and neck as he passed by. He could not see the wind any more. It had gone, but the promise of the direction it went, east, was enough. So he walked on, 
Not once did he think about how he hadn't locked his front door. Toward the end of the day, he stopped again. He couldn't march all night, though his heart was willing. The hills he left behind, all bumpy and grainy and full of wolves. The old man lay down under a juniper tree and tried to sleep. The sun had not yet set, but he was tired. Hello, partner, said a voice. The same voice he'd heard earlier that day. The man who had saved him, Nash Irving, the wolf hunter. The old man sat up and saw Nash was walking toward him. How'd you find me? muttered the old man. We got separated for a while there. Those hills are thick, thick and ungainly, I say. I knew we'd find one another again. Only one of us done the finding, said the old man, all frown. Nash Irving didn't notice he was frowning, most likely because the old man frowned all day long, so there wasn't a good way to tell whether he was aggrieved or feeling finely. Nash had brought along a rucksack that hung from his neck and the wolfskin still on his back. He set all his weapons aside, sword, shoulder bow, arrows. The hunter began digging a hole for a fire with a sharp stick he found, and the old man watched. All the while Nash Irving ran his mouth. We'll have a dinner for ourselves here, my friend, he said. That wolf thought you were his dinner, but he was a wolf, and wolves think with their stomachs. He even knew I was hunting him, I tell you. He knew, for I'd shot a hurried missile his way on the yellow bluff one week ago. I suppose he'd forgotten about me, but we'll have a nice meal of onion and bacon, and I saved the wolf's heart for dessert. Bad luck to eat a wolf's heart, said the old man. It's good eating, though. Still more, I've never heard that it's bad luck. Why do you say that? It adds to your courage. Say what you want about wolves thinking with their stomachs. They have courageous hearts, not cowardly like a coyote's. Wolves hunting packs, coyotes alone, said the old man. You have it wrong. Wolves are cowardly. Coyotes are sure of themselves. Not this wolf, partner, said Nash. The lone wolf's heart is bravest of all. Eat it all you like, said the old man. I will have some onion, thank ye. Nash grilled onions and fat-back bacon over the fire, and they ate a hearty meal of both. The old man's belly had been empty for two days, though he hadn't given much thought to it. Soon both companions felt warm and plump from the food, and the fire began to die. Nash cut a sliver from the wolf's heart and smacked on it, but put the rest into the low embers. Something curious happened then. The wolf's heart sparkled and snapped. It hissed and howled, shriveling and turning black. Rising up from the cooked heart came an apparition. An apparition is not something you'll likely see, even in that land, unless you cook a wicked wolf's heart. The apparition came in the shape of a forlorn face, a stretched, wisping face, it kept floating and floating up into the darkening sky. It sang as it went. Oh, the sheep I have seen in panic, the cattle I have seen undone, the eyes of a nanny goat harrowed and manic, the feats of a wolf in fun. Oh, the screams of a man caught sleeping, the color of a rabbit's brains, the pleas of a traveler as I went creeping. My pleasure's all fixed to your pains. There was silence between the two men, and they watched the apparition float way off out of sight. They stared at the embers where the heart had burned.
the old man used his last words for the day. "'Twas a mean wolf,' Nash Irving nodded. "'Yes, 